As always, family, so good to see you guys, so good to have you guys here with us, and uh, we are excited to have this opportunity, every opportunity, to uh, share God's word with you guys and to uh, encourage and, and be encouraged and hopefully encourage you. Uh, and again, next week, um, Pastor Brian will be back and we'll be jumping back into our study of Acts, I believe, picking up around chapter 11, somewhere in that area. Um, but we are excited to get back into that study as well. Uh, it's day 42 of our 40 days in prayer. I don't know if anybody's been keeping count. Uh, and this is the last message in our sermon series on prayer. Uh, but let me encourage you, as I did on last week, just because our time, our 40 days of prayer is ending, don't let your prayer life end. Amen. Amen. We continue to walk in our missional communities in uh, habits of grace, and prayer is a part of that, uh, or rather those habits of grace. And um, continued prayer, fellowship uh, with other believers, and time in the Word is a grace and a, a reward unto itself. And so we want to encourage you guys to continue in that. Uh, but as we encourage you, we also want to challenge you uh, to, or to issue a challenge to you. Uh, over the past six weeks, we've been looking at uh, different prayers of folks in the Bible. We looked at uh, David and Moses, uh, Paul, Peter, Elijah last week, uh, Nehemiah this morning. Uh, we examined the prayers of these people and the circumstances under which uh, they were praying, and, and what were they praying uh, during these times? And we want to examine uh, Nehemiah on today as well, but uh, again, in that, we also want to give you a challenge to move beyond simply praying. We've been focused on praying uh, these last six weeks, but we want to encourage you to move beyond prayer into practice. All of these men spent time in prayer, but all of them rose up from their time in prayer and put feet to their faith. And so we want to encourage you to do that as well. We hear these words in the book of James. Uh, this is chapter 2, starting at verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone, said, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, or also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." If we stop at prayer, we only did half the job. The same burdens that drive us to prayer should drive us to practice. Amen? Even Christ walked in this pattern. In Matthew 14, as he withdraws himself from the people after hearing about the beheading of uh, John the Baptist, Scripture says that the people followed him. And as he was coming ashore, he saw the great crowd and had compassion on them, Scripture says, and healed their sick. We see him after that later in the text, feeding the 5,000. In Matthew 9, we hear these words, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. You hear it, you hear compassion, and you hear sending, right? He wasn't simply burdened. He was moved by that burden. Compassion precedes commission. and That's the challenge. Let your, let your burden or your compassion move you to actually do something. As we look at Nehemiah this morning, we'll ask three questions. Why did Nehemiah pray? How did he pray? And what happened after he prayed? The year is 444 B.C., and Nehemiah is in Susa, capital city of the Persian Empire. I found it interesting, and I noted here that uh, many of the events that took place in the book of Esther also took place here in Susa. And much like Esther, Nehemiah is about to go before the king on behalf of the people. On this particular day, Nehemiah receives a, a visit from his brother, uh, it's roughly an 800-mile journey from Jerusalem to Susa. I can't imagine it was a journey that they made uh, often, and Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not any kind of messenger was sent ahead to announce that company was coming. As I imagine things, it was a, a surprise visit, unannounced and unexpected, the kind that we all love, right? So they arrive at the palace to see Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. Again, as I imagined it, Nehemiah is somewhere in the palace going about his duties as the king's cupbearer when he receives word that his brother is here. And filled with excitement, he rushes out to, to greet him. And after embracing him, he grabs him by the shoulders and, and wide-eyed and with a wide uh, smile on his face with great anticipation, he asks, how is our family and how is our city? And I can see... Uh, or rather, in, script, in, in verse 2 uh, of our text, he says, And I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And I see the face of Hanani, his brother, turning from the shared excitement of seeing Nehemiah to bowing his head at the thought of answering his brother's question because it wasn't good news. In verse 3, we see the news, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. It was terrible news. Our people are in great trouble and shame, and the walls of our city are broken, and the gates of our city are burned. And Nehemiah's re response was commensurate to the news. Scripture says that he sat down and that he wept and that he mourned for days. Some commentaries say that he sat down because the, the weight of the news was so shocking, so heavy that his knees were literally too weak to hold him up anymore. Others say that it's customary to sit while in mourning. Whichever one is right, the point is that Nehemiah felt the weight of the news that he received. It, it wasn't good news. In the last seven to nine some odd days between our local and national news, we've had some pretty devastating news as well. We've seen reports of sex trafficking, child abuse, raids that left children temporarily without care, 
We've seen reports of families being held at gunpoint in their own homes. We've seen reports of mass shootings, not just in other states, but even here in Mississippi. Stories of the rising numbers of assaults that are listed as hate crimes, continued terrorist attacks, pastors who are walking away from their faith. And also here, families who have lost possessions or homes due to flooding and extensive, water, extensive times of water sitting in the home. And here recently, I got news of a man that was missing from Jackson whose body they found in a shallow grave in Lawrence County. Troubling and shameful news that highlights the brokenness of the world. Nehemiah felt the weight of the news he received. Are we feeling the weight? Are we hearing the news? Are we seeing the brokenness? And if we are, what is our response? Do we weep with those who weep? And are we doing anything to serve those who are hurting? But why did Nehemiah care? He's in Susa. Scripture says itself it's a citadel. It calls it a citadel. A citadel, by definition, is a fortress, stronghold, keep, tower, or bunker. It's a fortified place. Wikipedia says this about a citadel. A citadel is the core fortified area of a town or city. It may be a castle, fortress, or fortified center. It goes on to say it's the strongest part of the system, sometimes well within the outer walls. It is positioned to be the last line of defense. So not only is Nehemiah in the place of, of means, but he's in the strongest, most cared for part of that place, serving as cupbearer to the king. His walls aren't broken and his gates aren't burned, so why should he care about the conditions of the people back home? He cares because God cares. He cares because God cares. Hear God's word to Moses as he calls him from the burning bush in Exodus 3. In verse 7, he says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them. God cares about the suffering of his people. In verse 10, God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We see this time and time and time again throughout Scripture. God, burdened by the suffering of his people, raises up a Moses, raises up a, a, a Joshua, a Samuel, an Elijah, an Esther. In our text, he raises up Nehemiah. And I'm hoping in our day, God raises up us. Amen? Bur brokenness should burden us. Brokenness should burden us because, again, brokenness burdens God. From Adam to Israel to all of mankind, God didn't see our suffering and our sin and just leave us to our own devices. Scripture says uh, God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. God moved. And if we be in Christ because of that death, because of his burial and resurrection, because of his great love for us, then God's love is in us. And if God's love is in us, how can we not be burdened when we see people suffering? Yes, pray. That's why we had the 40 days to focus. Yes, we want to pray, but we don't want to just pray. 
The same compassion that burdens our hearts and drives us to prayer again should stir our hearts to service and com commission. So why did Nehemiah pray? He prayed because he felt the weight of the suffering of the people and the condition of the city. He prayed because he knew something had to be done. He prayed because he knew he couldn't do anything about it in his own power and his own strength. How did Nehemiah pray? He prayed in a way that's very similar to the Acts model that we gave when we started our 40 days of prayer. He prayed with, with adoration for and acknowledgement of who God is. He prayed speaking to God's person and glory. He prayed confessing sin, his own sin, the sins of his father's house and the sins of the people. He prayed making his supplication or his request known, understanding that in moving from commission to the compassion that he was now burdened, burdened with, he needed to get the king's permission, he needed the king's people, and he needed the king's provision. Look with me at verses 5 through 11 in our text, Nehemiah 1. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I pray now before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place and bring to the place that I have chosen to make my name well there. They are your servants and your people who you have redeemed by your great power and great hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah prays in reverence of who God is. His prayer addresses a, a sovereign ruler who is enthroned in the heavens, who keeps covenant and is unwavering in love. Nehemiah prays in knowledge of what God has said. His prayer acknowledges holy scripture and the fact that himself and all the people are servants of the Lord and subject to the word of the Lord. Nehemiah prays in confession of what God has done. His prayer admits his own sin, again, the sins of his father's house and the sins of all of Israel and the fact that God was just in punishing them for their unfaithfulness. Nehemiah's in praise, praise and faith of what God will do. His prayer expresses hope in God's power and strength and willingness to redeem Israel, even in their sin. If only the people would repent and turn back to God. And his prayer expresses hope in the God's ability to give him favor in the sight of the king. So what happened after Nehemiah prayed? After the prayer, we have seven words that at first, I honestly, uh, 
glanced over. I even told Elizabeth, you know, as you're reading the text tomorrow, you don't have to read those last seven words. But the more I read them, the more they weighed on me and the more I wanted to share them. And those words are, now I was the cupbearer to the king. Last week during missional, uh, Matt shared that John Piper uses this technique to uh, memorize scripture. And it's, it's just a simple exercise of emphasis where you say a sentence or say a phrase and you put emphasis in different places on different words as you go through that. Um, and working through that simple exercise of emphasis really changed how those seven words landed on me and for us as we close out today and uh, close this sermon series on prayer where we place emphasis on these seven words will either be our excuse or will be our exclaim and exhibition where we place emphasis on these seven words will either be something that keeps us paralyzed in prayer or something that drives us beyond prayer to speak the word of God and do the work of God what do I mean when I say paralyzed in prayer? Because prayer is a, a good thing, right? Prayer is a good thing, but sometimes prayer burdens our... Nope. Y'all excuse me there. It's the only thing about writing it out when you mess something up. You mess something up because you're reading. Amen. Amen. But prayer is a good thing, but sometimes we're, 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 we're praying and we don't move beyond prayer because we're afraid. Amen? Uh, we're, we're afraid and it's, it's, it's a little unbelief mixed in there with it. Amen? Amen. So in that instance, uh, we tend to place emphasis on the cupbearer. And we make excuses because sometimes we see ourselves as uh, uh, people of limited means. We feel like the cup from which we pour doesn't have anything to offer those around us. We feel inadequate and insufficient. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. We don't see our place or our position as, as one of value. Nehemiah in this text exemplifies our value of emptying empowerment. He uses his privilege and his position as cupbearer to the king to serve God and to serve God's people. And that's where we're challenging you on this morning. He was cupbearer, but he was cupbearer to the king. See, his position didn't matter as much as who he was connected to. Power doesn't stop on you your resources or your education or, or your influence. Power also speaks to your privilege and your position. It didn't matter if he didn't have resources. He had access to the king. It didn't matter whether he had people or not. He had access to the king. Every, every provision that Nehemiah needed to move from prayer to practice was tied to his position. And Nehemiah in service to an earthly king, if you read on in uh, the book of Nehemiah, you'll see that he went on to build the walls. He went on to repair the gates. But you and I aren't simply cupbearers, amen? And, and, 
And I don't know if you've ever had to give a, a, a presentation or any type of talk before, but sometimes there's a part that gets really good to you. And this was one of those parts that got really good to me. And I wanted to just, you know, hold my ear and shout a little bit. Because we're not simply cupbearers. God calls us sons and daughters. God calls us heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, Scripture says. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the king we serve is not simply an earthly king. He is the Lord God of the heavens. He is he who was, who is, and who is to come. He is the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He is El Shaddai, the Almighty. He reigns over all because he is Lord of all. He is eternal, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere at all times. What will we do in service to our king? Amen? What will we do in service to the king of kings and the lord of lords who is matchless in power and might? He doesn't work with the limited resources that Nehemiah's earthly king has. He has unlimited resources. What will we do in service to the God of the heavens who declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein? My prayer for you and for myself is that we will go, that we won't get paralyzed in prayer, that we won't stall, that our faith won't stall because we struggle to believe that God will work through us. Or that God will do what we're asking him to do. I pray that we will move from prayer to practice. From compassion to commission. I know that there are things that you look and you see that people are hurting. And you're burdened to the point of prayer. But have you reached out to see what kind of impact you can make in the life of that person? I pray that we will walk as witnesses with the power and provision of the Spirit of God, that we would stand as ambassadors of Christ who have been given the word and work of reconciliation, that we would cry out to all who would hear us, be reconciled to God. Amen? That doesn't happen in prayer, family. That happens after you have prayed. 